Welcome. First of all, it is a tremendous honor for today's class to be dedicated in memory of a man who I'm not just close to his family, but I was really close to him. And he used to sit not a long time ago right there in this row, right here, right here, very often on Shabbat. And he would come to listen and he would love the classes. He was at times, he would. He was always a humble man, sometimes didn't say a lot, but had a lot of thoughts and loved us very, very much. Loved the shul very much, loved my father very much, and I think even loved me very much. So, today's class is dedicated in memory of Stanley Labaton, Shalom. That's Abraham Ben Sarah, by his wife Alice, who's here all the time, who had tremendous dedication to him all the time. Um, by all the Le- what, what am I supposed to say? Which family? Oh Becker, Levy, Labaton, all those families. What? Labaton over there. So, um, really, it's an honor for today's class to be in his memory. He really was a man who loved shul, loved Hashem, loved the community, and really raised children and grandchildren that are. Very much vibrant in our community and growing in Torah and Mitzvot in beautiful ways. So it really is a true honor. When you have the father that we loved and the mother that comes to the class and the daughters that are coming to the class, I don't know, and we love many of the grandchildren, it's like win, 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 win on a hundred levels. So thank you very much. It's an honor for today's class to be in his memory. Okay. That being said... There are weeks that I'm very in the mood to prepare the class and very in the mood to give the class. This week's not really one of them. As anyone who's been paying attention knows, we had a very tragic and sad thing happen in our family. We've been talking about it in the classes the past couple of weeks. As I was trying to prepare this class, sick in bed and emotionally sick in my head, Last night, I said, you know what, maybe giving the class is a little therapeutic. It's not really going to be on this subject again. It's, everybody cares, but in the end of the day, it's, it's our sadness, and I don't want to make people sad again. So it's not going to be on that again. But it's a topic that will relate to it, as you'll see. And hopefully one, I may not be my normal self, but hopefully one that has an important message and one that, like I said, is not uh, really so morbid in nature, I hope. Here's my question for you. And I bet you it's a question everyone in this room has had at different times. What happens when you go to a great rabbi in Israel for a beracha, and he gives you a beracha, and even tells you what's going to happen? Your daughter, she's going to get married this year. Your son is going to have a baby in nine months. And then, it doesn't happen. Now what? What are you supposed to believe? You went to a great rabbi, there's no doubt on his greatness. What are you supposed to believe? Because we have people in this community, and really across the world, that are like back and going to Israel all the time. We see these advertisements for blessings or for people to pray 40 days at the Kotel or Kever Achel or 
places like that, and you're told that if you do this, this will happen, if you do that, that will happen. A week ago, it was a big deal to read the section of the man. Do you remember that? The section of the man. They tell you if you read the section of the man on Tuesday of Parashat B'Shalach, then you're going to have a great income. So how about if you read the Parashat Haman, and then two weeks later you lose your job? Now what? So this question has been relevant, as I'll tell you why later. And it's inspired me to give this class how to understand and how to um, frame going to a rabbi, getting a blessing, and getting even what seems like a promise. And in discussing this topic, I'm not just here to answer this question, because there may be three quarters of you who never really aren't really bothered day to day of this question, but really I, I want to try to create as a deeper understanding of Judaism just using this question as a vehicle. Moshe Rabbeinu is now in the desert. We split the sea, and now the Jews are in the desert, covered by, by clouds, surrounded by clouds, being fed man from heaven and water from the rock. And now Yitro, Parashat Yitro, Yitro is coming. Yit, Moshe's family has not been with him. So his father-in-law Yitro, his wife Tzipporah, and his two sons are now going to come to greet Moshe. And the Pasuk now tells us the names of Moshe's two sons. His first son was Gershom, and his second son was Eliezer. Where did he get these names from? So the Pasuk tells us where he got his names from. He said, my first son is Gershom ki amar ger ha'iti beres because I was a stranger in a foreign land. V'shem ha'echad, and the second son, ha'echad means the other one, Eliezer, because ki elokeh avi be'ezri ve'asileni v'cher paro, because God has been with me, and God saved me from paro's sword. Now if you look throughout the Torah, there are many children that are named. The twelve tribes are named, Yitzchak, Yaakov are named, Many people are named, Moshe is named, and we usually have a reason why they're named, and it's usually a very positive reason. God heard me, God's with me, God's protecting me. That fits with the second son, Eliezer, Eloke Avi Be'ezri, the God of my father has protected me and was there for me and helped me, it fits. But the name of the first son doesn't sound so positive. Gershom. Gershom means I was a ger, I was a foreigner in a foreign land. That's negative. Why are you having this name of your son based on this negative idea? And why is this son named first when God really saved you from Paro? That was first. First God saved you from Paro. Moshe was a young man. He was saved from Paro. He ran away from Egypt. And then he was a stranger in a foreign land. So your names are out of order and the name seems to be negative. So I'm going to answer the question right away. Moshe Rabbeinu was afraid. Moshe Rabbeinu was afraid of living in exile. Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to remind himself right away that I am in exile and I am in a dangerous place. Exile is dangerous. You know it's dangerous. It's dangerous because it's dangerous, physically dangerous. You walk around and it's dangerous throughout our history. Living in exile has been very often, a very uncomfortable and many times deadly thing, deadly place for millions of Jews throughout history. So exile being dangerous, we all know, but it's also dangerous spiritually. And in the exile we live in today, 
The physical danger is probably the lowest it's been since the bad time Mikdash was destroyed. Although we have stories, but not nearly as bad as they've been for the past 1900 years. But our spiritual dangers are high, and that everyone knows from the usage of the cell phone to the access to what you have through the media to intermarriage and so on. Exile has been dangerous. I want to tell you one of the dangers of exiles, and this is my point. We have an idol worship mentality. What I mean by idol worship mentality is you probably have never really met someone who you would consider a classic idol worshiper. But I still think that we have an idol worship mentality across our country. When the Torah says, do not worship idols, and we did Ten Commandments this week's parasha, it says, do not worship idols. That's the second of the ten. It says, Don't bow down to them and don't serve them. Now, bowing down to them is really serving them. So why do I need to tell me don't bow down to them and don't serve them? I think the answer is there are idols that are out there that we serve. And then there are idols that are out there. And those idols we probably have never seen for real. And then there's idols that are out there that you don't serve, but we just bow down to. And we're like so subservient to that we like worship them. And if you look around our country today, and you say idol worship, most people will look at you strange. You know, certain religions may be considered idol worship, but that's not how they think of idol worship. When you say, so the classic idol worship, we don't seem to have. But, we have idol worship. Because go look on Instagram and find out who are the top ten people that are followed on Instagram. If you have your phone, I don't mind, I'm not insulted if you check it up right now. And you see the crazy people that we follow so intensely that we need to see every picture they take, every place they go, what they eat in the morning, what they eat at night, where they've been, what outfit they put on, why they changed it, they put on a new pair of shoes. That's what we do. And millions of people, you had there are people that have over a hundred million Instagram followers, over a hundred million Instagram followers, people that are nuts, but people that our society worships, and people that our society can't wait to read about, they got married, they got divorced, they got separated, they got back together, they got together, and they're separated at the same time, they have kids, they have adopted kids, they're not married, they have the other guy, Lady Mesh she's doing something nuts, what she's doing, where she is, what she's wearing, crazy things that we have, that society, in essence, starts to worship these people. Now again, they don't serve them, but they go crazy over them. We have it with politicians too. The politicians has never been, following politics has never been as exciting as it's been to lately. Because they had a tweet and they have a thing and I'm on this side and I'm on that side and I love the guy and I hate the guy and I love her and I hate them and I love them and there's so much obsession and so much talk and so much following, it's such a big deal. Ball players are also worshipped. People always followed sports, at least in this country for a hundred years. But in the past 20, 30 years, the access is so much more that, that there are millions of kids in this country, millions, who know the sneakers 
that are being worn by a ball player in LA and another one in Houston. They know the sneakers they're wearing. And they buy them because they're the sneakers. And I'm not telling you that this is necessarily the worst thing ever, but it's a mentality that we have around us that we like to start to worship stuff. That we worship politicians or celebrities or ball players or whatever as you worship. Some people worship wealthy people. They can't, they can't, they, there's so many homes in this house, in this community that their Friday night discussion is about what wealthy people did. And they'll say, oh, but I don't really care. You're so full of it. You do care. And you're talking about it the whole time because you're, because you worship it. You may tell, tell me how much you hate them, but you're lying because you're really worshiping them. And they went here. And you see what they built. You see how they built it. You see what's happening. And the other one built it. It's here. It's there. They want that trip. They got a trip. The other one went on a trip. You saw the trip. Do you see the pictures on Instagram where they went? They worship. It's really true. And nothing I'm saying is one ounce of exaggeration. They may not serve them. Lotah of them may not be relevant today. But don't bow down to them, is very relevant today. Which is, Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to remind himself. Wanted to remind himself. I am in exile, and I need to remove myself somewhat from that exile. That's why he named his first son Gershon. It's not a negative name. It's a name that will remind him forever, I don't want to be part of this exile and the mentality that I'm learning from the exile. So here's my real point. I love rabbis. I would say, probably more than anyone in this room. I mean, actually, I'm one. But that's not the only reason. I probably spend more time around Rabbis, great kids, Olim in Israel and so on, then everyone in this room combined. I want that to be clear. When I get a chance to go to Israel, I can't wait to go to a rabbi, to talk to them, to get their advice, to get their thoughts, to get their greatness. The problem is that there are people around who've turned rabbis into gods. And they're not gods. So let's explain what that means. So that means you go to a rabbi to get a blessing. He tells you, you're going to have children. He's not God. He's not a prophet either. Prophecy has ended. He's not a prophet. He's not God. Now it could mean that one day the person will have children in some way that they didn't anticipate. Like maybe they'll influence children. That could be what it means. Or it could mean that they're just giving you hope. Just like anybody does when you see a sick person and you say you're going to get better or you tell you see a girl and you tell you're going to get married and you don't mean it as like you're guaranteeing it. It just means to say that you're hoping for it. But the most important point to realize is that in the end of the day, they're human beings that hope, that are praying, that are close to Hashem, that when they talk, Hashem hears them, but it doesn't mean Hashem has to listen to them. So here's the example that inspired me. My niece says, you know, got a bone marrow transplant. Before she got a bone marrow transplant, they went to great rabbis in Israel, the greatest rabbis in Israel. And they said, should she have a bone marrow transplant? And the rabbis said, yes, she should. And there's a risk of having children after the transplant at this age. It's a risky process. So she should take the transplant and she's going to have many children. She passed away. So what does that mean? The answer is, he's not a god. The answer is, that stop worshipping people. Worship Hashem. And that's it.
And yes, I'm not comparing um, uh, some great rabbi in Israel to some person that has 100 million Instagram followers. But our relation to them and our mentality towards them, that's what I'm comparing. Where we start to have this mindset of like, I can worship things and I'm going to just go to the rabbi in Israel and he's going to tell me it's going to be good and then it's going to be good. You think that's how life works? You think that's how life is supposed to work? Two weeks ago, this my niece's husband went to Israel, went to rabbi, he said, another rabbi said, another rabbi, the rabbi said, her name, Sarah Bat Rachel, equals, there's going to be a complete refuah shelema today. Great rabbi, a rabbi that has people lined up out the door, they travel far, just to go see that rabbi. That doesn't mean lose faith in the rabbis. It means just have more faith in God. Yes, you could go to them. Yes, they could give you a blessing. Yes, their blessings help. But do their blessings, are their blessings automatic? Sadiq Gozer HaKadosh Baruch means that a Sadiq says something, Hashem listens and hears them. But only one being runs the world. And only one being deserves our worship. And that's God. And the thought, then I'm going to go somewhere, get a statement, and then I'm good to go, is complete falsehood and a complete misunderstanding of how Hashem runs the world. Because the problem, it comes from a deeper problem. And that deeper problem is that we want life to be easy. So the way we make it easy is I go travel to a rabbi, especially if I have money, it's maybe even easier to get in. I'll get into the rabbi, I'll get a blessing, I'll come home, voila, I got my blessing. That's not life. Life doesn't work that way. Life doesn't work that if you go to Amuka or have someone pay someone to go to Amuka for 40 days, you automatically get married. That doesn't mean don't go to Amuka. Go to Amuka. I'm to go and pray at the Kivarim. I tell you, if you know how many times I prayed at Kivarim, I probably again, probably more than anyone in this room combined. Uh, plenty. But ultimately, I'm praying to God at a kever. Ultimately, my trust is in only one being on the planet. It's only in Hashem. And I'm put on this planet to trust in that one Hashem. Because the mentality of a Jewish life is this. It's not blessings, and not kameot, and not red strings. That's not Judaism. That's nice things, I'm not saying it's bad. And Sigulot, don't tell me that God's going to say, Oh really, I was going to have this guy lose all his money. But because he said a paragraph on a Tuesday in Parashat B'Shalach, he's going to get all his money back. That's not how it works. That's not how the religion works. That's not out with Judaism. The way Judaism works is, you're put on this planet to work hard, to pray, to cry, to learn, to grow. That's how you put it. And there are no shortcuts from that process. No shortcuts. There's no grave you can go to, no rabbi you can talk to, no string you can put on your hand. There's no shortcut from that process. Praying, crying, learning, changing, and growing. That's life. That's what Judaism is. Nothing else is Judaism. That other stuff are nice. But that's not Judaism. Nowhere in Judaism is, oh, I'll get a nice aliyah on the holiday, I'll get Kal Nidre and my year is good. No way. You want to think it's good, because you want an easy way out, but that's not the religion. 
The religion is, Torah life is, an everyday growth, change, work hard, fight hard, until you grow yourself well. That's Torah and Mitzvot. That's what a Jewish life is. And the problem is that part of our exile mentality is not just the worshipping of these people, but part of our exile mentality is the worshipping of hoping that I can have a lifestyle that looks like these people. So we all have this desire to have this easy life. And it's, I think, today more than it ever was because it's in our face more than it ever was. The other day I'm talking to someone I know well. He asked me a question. He says, how does this work with the retirement? How much do they take out of your account and, and long term? I said, retirement? He says, and when do I get the money? I'm going to retire in 2039. Do I get the money in 2039? I said, you're really talking about your retirement right now? He says, yeah, Rabbi, I just, I can't wait till that day comes. I said, you can't wait for that day comes? He says, yeah, Rabbi, I got to get out of this. I, I can't do this anymore. It's 2039 you're waiting for. I said, you're completely fooling yourself. You're completely fooling yourself if you're sitting and waiting for that mentality. And I don't blame him for having that mentality. Today, I got an email today from some uh, travel agency, which again is beautiful, good people. I know that you are good people. That Valentine's Day, are you going to any of these ten places on Valentine's Day? So now I feel like a loser because I'm staying home. But I don't even know what Valentine's Day is. But anyhow, I'm staying home, and you know what? That that starts to to peck away at you. And and I tell this guy, I said, you're really sitting like you're dreaming of that day when you're going to be. And like the, the cover of the AARP magazine with like the husband and the wife on the boat and the white hat and like, like you're really hoping for that day? I said, do you really think life works that way? You think it's, I said, society's lying to you. That's the problem. Society's lying to you, making you feel like that that day is out there and you start running after that day and you want to just have that easy life. Like just get me to easiness. Yitro comes to our people. I want to tell you what happens when he comes. He comes to the people and Moshe Rabbeinu starts telling him about what happened to the Jewish people in the desert. And he tells him, it all of the problems or the issues that we went through and how Hashem saved us from all of them. So I saw a commentary ask a nice question. It says, I understand why you're telling Yitro about all of God's savings and all the miracles and so on. But why are you telling him the tila'ah, like the problems, the challenges? Why are you telling him about how hard it was, how we had to fight Amalek? Why are these the things you're sharing with Yitro? He's joining us for the first time. Why are you telling him these things? The answer is we're telling him what it means to be part of the Jewish people. Yitro, you want to join our people? You came from Midian, you weren't Jewish, now you want to join our people? Let me tell you what it means. It's not just miracles and food coming from heaven and water coming from a rock. It's tila'ah too. It's battles, it's fights, it's issues, it's challenges. That's what it is. Life in the desert was beautiful and also very tough. People were passing away every year in the desert. It was tough. Yes, it was beautiful. They had man from heaven and water from a rock and clouds surrounding them. Anyone would say, oh, I'd love to have that. But that's not the reality. I say, you think that your life's going to look like that picture on the top of the AARP magazine when you get 65 years old to 2039? 
You really think that that's what it's going to look like? He says to me, it's funny you're telling me that. He says, because I was living in my parents' house in the summer, and one Shabbat, I'm on my parents' table, and all my siblings are married, he tells me. He says, I'm at my parents' table, and I'm seeing my mother talking about, and I'm the only one, me and my wife and my kids are the only ones at the table, and I see my mother talking about this sibling, and the other one's sibling's marriage, and the other one's kid, and the other one's income. And I'm like, Ma, you're still worrying like this? Like, don't you ever graduate from, from this, this headache? He says, and my mother tells me, graduate? She says, my worry only gets more. When they're married and out of the house, I think about them more. And I'm concerned about them more. He says, what are you talking about? Like I thought, you become a grandma, you got to say, oh, they changed him. Like, that's all. I don't have to worry about these things. Why? I don't know if I should, I didn't mean to do that. But anyhow, he, he says, what, what, like, what are you, why are you so, he says, yeah, I'm a, a grandma, I'm sitting at home. He says, so when I'm not here, you're doing the same thing about me? She says, yeah. He says, but what do you mean? All your kids are married. They're married to wonderful people. They're like, okay. I know, but I'm worried about his thing and her thing and his thing and the other ones. Life is not that picture. Because life is not easy and was never meant to be easy. So don't worship the people that look like their life is easy. Because life isn't easy, it's not meant to be easy, and it's not easy for anybody. I know a couple that had a whole bunch of kids that they were waiting to marry off. And then they finally married them all off. And then they had a trouble with one of the marriages of one of their grandchildren. And then they got sick. Like their life is so much not that picture on the cover of AARP. That thought process. That thought process to think that that's what life is about is such a fraud. So my brother-in-law has been sitting shiva now. They're getting up tomorrow morning. And every person that comes in, he's been very strong. So every person that comes in, he's telling, like he's saying, saying he's like talking the whole time. He's saying, he says, they sit down. He tells them, do you believe in fake news? He tells them, are you a Democrat? They're like, what? Like, you know, they're coming in solemn, sad, 20-year-old girl passed away. Am I Democrat? Like, where are we going with this? He says, do you believe in fake news? Like, now they have no idea what he's talking about. He says, let me tell you this. When people tell you, Oh, my child is sleeping safe and sound. That's fake news. Because the risks, the challenges, the nerves, the problems that are out there in the world today are endless. No one's safe and sound on the planet. He says the only person who's safe and sound is his daughter, who already passed. Because the reality is, life here is not safe and sound. And he doesn't mean it in a sad way. He means to say, don't get fooled. Don't get fooled by the mentality the world around you is portraying. Worship these people, think their lives are awesome, and hope and pray you get to be one of them. So that your life will be easy too. The whole thing is a fraud. The whole thing isn't true. And the whole thing isn't what Jewish life is. You know, I'm getting a lot of comments in the last week from people. Wow, Rabbi, 2020 has been a headache. 2020 is a tough year. We're only like through January and a little bit of February. You got stuff going on in China. You got impeachment. You got Kobe's helicopter. You just have, you have like, there are stuff out there that seem to be challenging. Yeah, that's how it is. 
Not here to tell you that 2021 is going to be better. That's the reality. Is That's how it is. I, you know, sometimes you have people say, oh, we live in very challenging times. And you don't think 30 years ago was very challenging times? And you don't think 50, 80 years ago was very challenging times? How do you think World War II felt like? And how do you think before that? How do you think the Great Depression felt like? And how do you think World War I felt like? And how do you think the Civil War felt like? How do you think it felt like when the average worker in America was making a dollar a day in 1905? Like, wh- what do you think the world ever was? This picnic? Where does the dream come from? Where does the thought process come from? Our message is this. You weren't put on this earth to go pray at a kever and get everything fixed. You weren't put on this earth to get a promise from a rabbi and just believe it's just going to happen. You were put on this earth to work hard. And there are no shortcuts to that process. None. And life that we were given is tough. Yes, try to enjoy it in the process. Because if you're not enjoying it, it's very hard to produce. And it's very hard to keep going. I trust me, I had a week that we had almost no joy in it. And it's very hard to produce. It's very hard to get out of bed. It's very hard to do what you need to do. I've been like at 20% capacity in my brain this week. So you can't live that way. You need to live with joy. But joy isn't the goal. Joy is the fuel and work is the goal. Joy gives you energy and some happiness and excitement. And yeah, you need to take pit stops and you need to take a vacation because it gives you some strength and you refuel a little bit. And you need to go out for dinner and you need to have some fun times and good times because they give you energy and they create happiness and they create what you need in your home and your family. I'm not against any of this. But don't think that that's the goal. I can't wait till 2039 when I turn into a picture on the cover of the magazine. Because I'm here to tell you that at 2039, even if you get to be in that picture and you're on the exact same boat with the same white hat, with the same wife and the same thing and there's no wrinkles in your face somehow, you're exactly the way you want to look and you're exactly the person you want to be. I could promise you that when you get home, there's three kids waiting for you and a couple of grandkids are having trouble in school and a kid, it's the way it is. You're going to have things to worry about because... No one's safe and sound on this earth. Nobody. Instead, we're put on this earth to serve and to worship God. And to work hard in that process. And to grow in the process. Moshe Rabbeinu's name of his first son, and the reason he named his first son this, was I will always remember that I am not in a comfortable place. I am Gershom. I am a Ger. I am a, I am a stranger. I don't belong here. I'm not settled in. I'm not that person who's living this glorious life and I'm not even trying to. Now let me share with you a little sad event. I think we tried our best to not be too sad today. This is also why, before I share why, we always remember Yerushalayim. Why at a ceremony, at a wedding, we break the glass to remember Yerushalayim? And we say the statement that if you forget Yerushalayim, it's like some disastrous thing to happen, should happen to a person's mouth. Why is it so critical that we remember Yerushalayim? Because it's critical at your ultimate moments, at your highest moments of joy, to realize that life isn't this picnic that you're hoping and thinking it's going to be. It just isn't. So always remember 
that we have a holy place we're trying to go to. And we have great things we're trying to achieve. And we want the Mashiach to come. Not that we want the Mashiach to come because we want to snap our fingers and have life be easy. No, we want the Mashiach to come because we want to earn that Mashiach. We want to be able to be the kind of people that deserve that Mashiach. We want to work hard enough to bring Him. So again, let me bring you a little... So last Wednesday, we gave you a class about hope. By the way, that night, I was like debating if I should cancel, like take the class offline, not take the class offline. Then I took it off and then I put it back on. But anyhow, I went back to Mag and David. Then I left. When I left, I got a call from my wife, honey. It took a turn for the worse. We have to go to the hospital. So we go back. I drop my wife by the siblings. And then um, I go myself to the hospital. We got to the bed. And the numbers are fluctuating and dropping. So we start to pray. And we're praying hard. And then the numbers stabilize again. So we say, okay, we can go back home. So about 11 o'clock at night, I went back home. Go back home. We get a call in the middle of the night. Let's go back. The numbers are fluctuating and, and dipping. So we get in the car. We get to the hospital. It's stabilized again. Then we go to pray in the Park East Synagogue. Then we come back to the hospital. We're eating breakfast. About 10 o'clock, they tell us. Now, again, the numbers are dipping again. So now, at this point, some of the siblings are there. We're all there. And we go around the hospital bed. And if you heard the funeral, you heard me tell part of the story. They allow, in the ICU of Sloan Kettering, they allow like two people in the room. We had about 40. Like 25 inside and 15 outside. It was complete madness. And then my brother-in-law, who happens to be a Hazan also, the father of this girl, starts to just start praying. And he does it loud. And we're all praying. With, like, it was like, You had to see... And we're saying, and like loud and with strength. And there's brothers-in-laws and sisters-in-law and cousins and nieces, nephews, kids probably even a little too young should have been there, but just what it was. And we're praying, and then I go outside in the middle and I ask the nurse, I said, tell me what I'm looking at. She says, the main thing you're looking at is that line, the line on the machine. You know, you think this only happens in movies. And... So the line on the machine, she says, as long as it's going up and down, you're good. Or you're at least still holding on. So the line is going up and down, up and down. Then it's kind of getting a little less. Then it's getting a little less. It's getting a little less. And she says, if it goes flat, they're going to give her something to revive her. But then if it doesn't work, they'll give her something again. And then that's it. So then the line goes flat. And they give her this thing, it goes up to normal numbers. So we're like, oh, does it mean anything? The nurse says, I don't know, which meant no. So they give it to her again, and then we're watching the line again with her, and then it goes flat. And you get zero on the screen, and you hear like the alarm almost like ringing in the hospital. And the second it happened, my sister-in-law, sitting right there watching her daughter, just, Hashem, please give me my daughter back, Hashem, please give me my daughter back, Hashem, please... And then she says, Hashem, I fully accept. You can take her. That's, now they heard all the blessings. They prayed, they believed in the rabbis as much as anybody. They went, they trusted, they heard, they got the blessings, they did all the prayers. But ultimately, this is God's world that we live in. And to believe in anything else 
is fake news. And we believe in the work we're here to do. And it's something like sad as this that happens, there's work that's done before, and there's growth and work that's going to happen after this. And that's what I should put us on this planet for. Not for the picture on AARP. We get back home, and now they come, they have to rip. So my sister-in-law, okay, she's a young woman, they tell her, okay, it's time to do the ripping. She says, give me a minute. She stops a minute, stops a minute. She says, okay. Now I'm ready to say it with happiness. Baruch Hashem, And she rips. The husband, we had gone to the cemetery, all of us. The husband comes back about an hour later. They go over him to him, they rip. They didn't talk to each other in the middle. They go over to him. He says, give me a minute. He thinks for a second, thinks for a couple of seconds. He says, okay, now I'm ready. And again, he says, I'm saying it with a complete acceptance. It's not about believing in the life you want to believe in. Because that's not Judaism. Yitro was told right when he got here, you want to join our team? It's not going to be miracles every day. You want to join our team? It's going to be work every day. That's what it means to be a Jew. It means that good things happen. It means tough things happen. It means sometimes sad things happen. And you have to have the courage and the strength and the fortitude and the backing and the support and the determination to keep going and keep growing and keep fighting. Nothing else is what we hang our hats on. Other than that. Not on some celebrity on Instagram and not on a picture in ARP. And I don't mean to compare it, but not even in Gadol in Israel. What we hang our hats on is God. And the fact that if we work hard and we pray, we're going to live the life we're meant to live. Not necessarily the one we hope we live, but the life that we were put here to live. Believing in anything else is fake news. Thank you.